don't know about you, but by the time I'm ready for Christmas, it's over. It seems like there's so many extra things to do. The shopping, the baking, pulling out the Christmas decorations, lighting up the house and the yard, keeping the cats out of the Christmas tree, wrapping up presents, and still getting to the concert on time to see the grandkids. Did I mention the cooking? Why do we bother? If we stop for a moment to think about it, it's really about the memories. Welcome to our Between the Rows Holiday Edition. I'm your host this week, Laura Rance. We have a special lineup for you as we share a few of our own favorite memories of Christmas. But first, a word from our sponsor. Save money, make money with AGI Nico dryers. AGI Nico Mixed Flow Screenless Dryers provide one to two pounds heavier test weight per bushel and require less maintenance than screen dryers. Stainless steel fuel trains mean no rust or corrosion to worry about. AGI Nico Dryer Manager puts remote management and monitoring in your hands. And with 30% in fuel savings, you'll save on every load. That's money in your pocket. Visit aggrowth.com slash Nico for more info. That's aggrowth.com slash Nico. For many of us, this holiday season is deeply rooted in our faith. But it's also a time when family and friends gather from many cultures. For starters, these holiday celebrations help warm up the coldest, darkest winter months by reminding us that we're not suffering through it alone. Yes, the relentless music piped through the stores designed to make us spend more gets a little tiresome. But at the same time, when those familiar songs are brought to life by a chorus of singing neighbors, it's hard not to smile. Here's one of my co-hosts, Gerilyn Witchers, sharing her memories of caroling through rural Manitoba. My childhood church had a long-standing tradition of Christmas caroling meaning going from house to house with a big group of people and then singing carols for anyone who was at the home. And it was a small rural church in eastern Manitoba. Um, So walking from house to house wasn't an option. Um, The group of us would pile into a bunch of cars and just convoy from house to house. And then we'd park sometimes on the gravel road or in the yard and then walk through the snow <laughs> to the front door. And then just without, without even announcing that we were there, we would just launch into Joy to the World. Joy to the And then the homeowner would open the door and sometimes they'd be, you know, there with their kids and PJs. And sometimes there would be like a big family gathering in full swing. And the whole dozen or whatever of us would file in still singing. And then we'd sing a couple of more songs like Silent Night or Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, we would always end with the song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Like, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. In, in hindsight, it feels a little bit awkward to think of just going unannounced and then singing at people. But I remember there being like a lot of smiles and goodwill, and I think people must have enjoyed it. We would visit a lot of the same houses every year. I specifically recall that there was one elderly couple we would visit, a business owner in the local community. 
and that year the gentleman had died. So instead of being in the usual house, the woman had moved to the senior's lodge. And we still managed to sing by her door. And she said to us something to the effect of, you still found me or you managed to find me. I've moved away from that community many years ago now. And I think that the caroling tradition has ended at that church. But um, there are a few houses that along the roads around the church that if I drive past them, make me think of caroling. As I think back to my own childhood growing up on the farm, what made Christmas so special were the little rules and rituals that had the effect of slowing things down and yet adding to the excitement and anticipation. It started when the Sears and Eaton's Christmas catalogs arrived in the mail sometime in November. They were passed around through the house from child to child. We all took turns dog-earing the pages and circling the items we thought we wanted. I used to lay awake at night with the Christmas lights on the eaves outside filtering into the darkness of my bedroom, thinking about the toys I imagined some lucky child would be getting, but somehow knowing it wouldn't be me. I don't remember getting anything I said I wanted out of those catalogs, ever. But it didn't really matter. The presents I did get were pretty exciting. I didn't even know how much I wanted new skates until I opened up that box on Christmas morning. The rule in our house was that we could get up as early as we wanted to see what Santa left in our stockings. But the presents under the tree were off limits until Dad was back in from doing chores and had had his breakfast. We were usually too excited to eat. Here's one of my co-hosts, Dave Bedard, with his memories of Santa. Hi, Dave Bedard here. I've got a lot of favorite Christmas memories, about 20-30% of which involve waking up insanely early every Christmas morning when we were kids growing up on the farm in northeastern Saskatchewan, just to sit there in the near dark with the tree lights and the 8-track player on, or lying flat out on the living room floor at my grandparents' house every Christmas evening in a turkey coma with half an eye on whatever was on Wonderful World of Disney, or, many years later, there's the one time my parents showed up at our door here in Winnipeg on Christmas morning and had to wake us all up. That's the day my preschool-aged son demonstrated to me that not every kid wakes up at crazy o'clock that morning. But to uh, borrow a phrase from another Disney movie, uh, if I had to pick a core memory, it'd be one of my earliest memories. Waking up from a nightmare about the little furnace in the side hallway of my parents' house trailer, in which the furnace is smoldering in the dark because Santa got himself jammed right in there with no means of escape. I suppose that's my subconscious naturally assuming the first and only thing Santa would do is try and gain entry through the home heating source, no matter what it happened to be. So, now I'm wide awake, at a time of morning which until then I didn't even know existed. I make my way to the living room, there's the little tree, there's the carefully wrapped gifts, and there I am in the dark, thinking, huh, Santa must have found another way in. Magic. In our house, Santa brought pretty much the same things every year. 
there was always a small gift or item of clothing, some Brazil nuts with the shells still on, chocolates, and then, tucked into the toe of those ratty old socks, was a sweet, juicy Christmas orange, the kind that came all the way from Japan. Of course, nowadays we can get something similar practically all year round, but they just don't taste the same. After stockings, after breakfast, and after opening our gifts, we were off to Grandma's house in town for Christmas dinner with six aunts and uncles, dozens of cousins, and lots and lots of food. Here's Lisa Gunther recalling her family get-togethers at Christmas. Hi, this is Lisa Gunther, editor of Canadian Cattlemen Magazine. Um, so I think some of my favorite Christmas memories are of going to my Annie Patton Uncle Ed's farm near Scott, Saskatchewan. It's the farm actually where my mom grew up and then her brother, my Uncle Ed, uh, took over the operation. But Annie Pat would invite not just our family, but her extended family. And she has a very large extended family. So sometimes there was about 50 people there for Christmas. And for several years, she actually wouldn't even let other people bring side dishes. She would do all the cooking herself. And, and eventually she she relented <laughs> and let other people bring some items. But my Annie Pat is a superb cook. So Christmas dinner was always amazing. And it was just also a lot of fun. My family, I think, is maybe a little bit more reserved <laughs> than her family. They're, qu they're quite boisterous and outgoing. So when you got 50 people in one house, um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was it, it was pretty loud. <laughs> and actually, so all the kids would have to help with the cleanup, which was a substantial job. But and I'm sure I rolled my eyes sometimes, especially when I was a teenager. But it, I actually have warm memories of that, too, because it was just fun to work together with my cousins and aunts and um, and, and visits and just get the job done. So thank you, Annie Pat. Uh, thanks for the awesome meals and and having us over at Christmas. Those were good days. Also the time of year when playing with your food is perfectly okay. Just ask Christy Nuts, who's here to talk about her favorite Christmas food game. My most favorite memory is of Christmas Eve dinner with my mom's family. My mom is from Denmark and a traditional dessert uh, that is served after Christmas Eve dinner is a rice pudding dish called Reese Allemande. And if you can imagine this enormous bowl of white rice pudding and inside is a whole almond and the game is everyone eats as much as they can and whoever gets the whole almond wins a prize. But really the game was always about who can outdo who and who can hide the almond the longest. So my dad is a very strong competitor in this game and has been for many years. And he and my two older cousins, Mike and Jeff, would just eat themselves silly 
trying to outdo each other and figure out who had the almond. And we're all looking around at everyone's faces to see if there's little lumps in the cheek and who's rolling their tongue and who's able to talk and who's eating funny to try to figure it out and pointing fingers. And inevitably, almost every year, my father would win. And much to the chagrin of my grandmother, who was a true Dane and was, first of all, irritated that my father, who is not Danish, would win the prize. And also that it would prolong the game, which prevented us all from opening presents. And my grandmother was really just a big kid. And she just, as soon as dinner was done, she was like, let's all open my our gifts. And we've kept the tradition going now that my grandmother's gone and everyone has families and we don't get together with my aunt and uncle uh, the same way anymore. My sister and I, with our own children and my parents, still play the game on Christmas Eve. And it's really a lot of fun to watch our own children participate and giggle at my dad, who inevitably still wins almost every year and pretends that he has lumps in his cheeks or rolls his, tongues around, his tongue around. Um, and we never really do know if he does have the almonds until he finally spits it out at the end of the game. pandemic affected Christmas get-togethers over the past couple of years in ways we could never have imagined. It was like putting the movie that is our lives on pause, but it made us realize how precious those family gatherings can be. Here's Gord Gilmore to talk about his favorite memories and how he hopes to pass them along. This is Manitoba Cooperator Editor Gord Gilmore. For our family, Christmas at the farm was one of our annual touchstones. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, the occasional stray family friend, all would be welcome for the holidays. At times, the two farmhouses were bursting at the seams. I'll always have fond memories from these events. Chopping ice on the dugout with my grandpa and dad to make ice cream. Cranking the handle of that ice cream maker until I thought my arm would fall off. Riding my uncle's 1970s Arctic Cat snowmobile around and around the yard, a rare treat for a young boy. Playing with cousins in the snow, and sometimes coming up on the losing end of a snowball fight. They're all part of my childhood and a shared experience with those loved ones from long ago. This year, once again, I'll be making the long trek from Winnipeg to rural Saskatchewan for Christmas at the farm. I only hope my daughter will have as many fond memories of these times when she's my age, and perhaps will continue this tradition with her own family. Best of the season, everyone. Getting together with family and friends is also when we reflect on the year fading into history. When John Morris, former editor of the Manitoba Cooperator, looks back on the year that's been, he thinks in rhymes. A review of 2-2. As longtime readers know, what we do each year first is review the one that's just passed, but in doggerel, that's bad versus. A look back to review things is usually a good practice gameful, but this year it's one that feels kind of painful. Ups and downs for farmers here seem only a piffle compared to those in Ukraine dodging bombs, drones, and missiles, or to those in Ethiopia and Somalia in their fourth year of drought, 
and in Pakistan, where tens of thousands are still bailing out. So while some things here might need measures corrective, let's all try to relax and put things in perspective. After spending the summer of 2021 asking rain gods to be chosen, Manitoba farmers finally got precipitation, except it was all frozen. Future grandparents will be telling kids why back in 21-22 the drifts were so high. Then it all melted, and for a while farmers thought they'd have troubles. To meet insurance deadlines, an air seeder would have to blow bubbles. But after avoiding some wet spots, and maybe not spraying precisely, most ended up with a crop that finally turned out quite nicely. Except in the peace, most of Alberta started out pretty dry, but the crop got a break from those rains in June and July. By the end of September, harvest was just about done. Wheat averaged 55.6 bushels with good grades and canola 38.1. The latter surprised me. From those early reports I was reading, I expected flea beetles would have had the entire crop eaten. Though I hear some folks down south have a bit of a shortage. Most regions went into the winter with a good supply of forage. I have a vested interest in farm newspapers, so maybe I'm just bitter, but I think some farmers are getting too much news from Twitter. Some tweets claim the government's plans for the crop growing sector are to restrict application of ammonia to three grams per hectare, but there doesn't seem to be any reason for the furor. In fact, the feds are even offering money to practice fertility for our. Just about every agronomist says that's what farmers should be doing, so maybe it's time to calm down and do it a little less stewing. Though some say it's a bit hard to define it precisely, a trend called regenerative agriculture seems to be catching on nicely. It's based on the theory that whether conditions are drier or wetter, if you've stored more soil carbon, things will always work out better. But it seems over the long term, if you want carbon storage, sooner or later, your rotation will have to include forage. That's not just good for the soil, it helps stem the persistence of weeds that are showing multiple herbicide resistance. But if more forage means less annual crop with herbicide to weed, it also means more cows, steers, and heifers to eat it. Based on last year's ag census and what I hear in the coffee shop, the number of those who want to chase cattle continues to drop. Now, age 55 seems younger each year, at least as I see it, but the Ag Census reported that 60% of farmers succeeded. Who's going to take over from them? Many farm kids must be guessing. The census said only 12% of farms have a plan for succession. For a while, the decision to buy land made you look like a hero, but that was while interest rates were almost at zero. They may be trying to hide it, but I think on sellers' faces, I sees, a bit of a smile now they've invested their returns in 5% GICs. And whether you're a buyer or a seller, you're getting an education in the problems of having to deal with inflation. Whether it was lettuce at the grocery store or a new tractor tire, the prices last year were going nowhere but higher. And even if you decide to make a deposit and sign with a hand quivery, because of supply chain disruption, it will take two years for delivery. So much for the past. Knowing the future for prices is critical, so I took an online course on how to sound grain market analytical. Sell into a rising market, it suggested, though I'm still trying to seek whether that means selling after it's risen for a day or a week. Don't be afraid to take a profit, was another. But what they don't say is how to stop kicking yourself when the market's up again the next day. 
watch what the futures market is telling you is another suggestion, except don't futures just indicate a 50-50 chance of changing direction? Then there's selling increments, which might be sensible advice, but I guess that's a fancy way of saying just shoot for an average price. So I guess I can't say for sure what the prices future for prices has in store, except it would be nice to have them stay high without having a war. But after examining the turkey's innards and the moss on the tree, the future of weather I'm more able to see. There will be no more blizzards this winter, but enough snow for skiing. It will be gone by mid-April, having left enough moisture for seeding. After that, I'm sure what the gizzard is saying is regular rainfall, but with short breaks for spraying and haying. Around the beginning of August, the moisture will stop, giving you a few weeks to harvest your best ever crop. That's it till next year. So from all of us here, we wish you good crops and good prices and happy new year. family gathering this year will be different. Both of my parents recently passed away. The sense of loss is still fresh and raw as we reconfigure the seating arrangements to accommodate two empty spots. But we're still going to celebrate and enjoy the strong family connections they built for us to carry forward. We're going to pull out the old movie projector and run some Super 8mm films across the wall in the garage and we're going to share some memories. We hope these stories inspire you to share a few of your own, because it's our memories that keep the ones who have gone before us alive in our hearts. Thanks for joining us on Between the Rows. Stay warm and have a wonderful holiday season. I'm Laura Rance. Save money, make money with AGI Nico dryers. AGI Nico mixed flow screenless dryers provide one to two pounds heavier test weight per bushel and require less maintenance than screen dryers. Stainless steel fuel trains mean no rust or corrosion to worry about. AGI Nico dryer manager puts remote management and monitoring in your hands. And with 30% in fuel savings, you'll save on every load. That's money in your pocket. Visit aggrowth.com Nico for more info. That's aggrowth.com slash Nico.